This is a podcast of honest, raw, authentic conversations about how to live a hopeful life. Not in the rainbows and unicorns kind of way. Oh no. We're talking about hard stuff. Cancer, loss, fear, and much more. And also the good stuff. Love, laughter, connection. We're going to take time together to talk about how to find light in the darkness. I'm Lara McGregor, founder of Hope Scarves and the Hopeful Life Project. Join me as I navigate my own way of living joyfully with a terminal illness and talk to others who have also found a way to live a hopeful life. Today, I talk with Dana Donafrey, breast cancer survivor, advocate, founder, and CEO of Ana Ono Intimates, and all-around breast cancer badass, changing the narrative of breast cancer around the world. Diagnosed with cancer at 28, Dana felt alone and disconnected from the breast cancer narrative of celebration and survivorship. Right away, she realized that this sparkly, happy story was doing a disservice to her and others whose life had been ripped apart by breast cancer. For 10 years, she has been pulling the rug out from breast cancer and exposing the messy, hard pieces that have been hidden from the conversation. We talk about sexual health, body image, and of course, the harsh reality of stage four metastatic breast cancer. I am grateful for people like Dana who are helping tell the whole story of breast cancer and reminding us it's not just about our body, it's about our story. Take a listen. Hi, I'm Dana. Living a hopeful life means living every day fully. So Dana, welcome to a Hopeful Life podcast. Thank you for having me. So honored to be here. We have been trying to connect um, for years, I feel like, as we um, our paths crossed, I believe our paths crossed first at a Young Survival Coalition conference where our booths were across the way from each other at an expo, right? I Yeah. I mean, it was my first uh, YSC conference. I want to say it was in 2015. Yeah. And... Um, it was really weird for me because I had already been a patient for over five years. And like, that was the first time, like I was coming together to find my tribe. I just was completely alone up until that conference really. And like so many pivotal friendships were developed and that, and that one short, sweet weekend. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a fond memory for me for sure. Yeah. And we've been trying to connect and have a conversation ever since with our busy schedules. Oh my God, ever since. Ever <laughs> since. Multi-year <laughs> game of phone tag and email tag between two busy entrepreneurs. Um, so I'm so glad that we could carve out time today to talk on the podcast. Um, let's start. We may, I have many things I want to talk about, but let's just start. Um, as we talk about a hopeful life, um, I really define that as living a joyful life, not because of the absence of struggle, but by finding joy and persevering, knowing that struggle is part of the story. That is 
what living a hopeful life looks like. So let's start with your cancer story, how struggle came into your life in the form of cancer. And um, from there, I think we'll, we'll go into all the things that you have done as you've turned this heartbreak into hope and share some, some really, I think, hopeful, inspiring stories um, beyond that. But let's just start kind of where, where cancer came into your life. Tell us about how that happened for you. Well, I'm going to start by saying I'm so happy uh, to share and hear uh, just that last few sentences that you gave us, Laura, because um, I don't do anything that doesn't bring me joy anymore. Mm. That's just uh, something I have learned because of this struggle and because of uh, the life and cancer. So for me, my story goes back now 10 years, um, which is just bizarre and crazy to even get the opportunity to say. Uh, and I was, I was diagnosed a day before my 28th birthday in 2010. It was also a few months before my planned wedding. So everything in life flipped upside down, like it does for anybody diagnosed with breast cancer. But I think my reality was uh, 10 years ago, I didn't even know young women got breast cancer. Like that was not even a conversation that we were having at all. Um, and it's it's really what I set out to change because I uh, – just mentioned at, you know, from the YSC conference. I mean, it took me five years to find other young women with breast cancer. Like this is a world before Instagram and Twitter. And like, mm-hmm. I was just converting from MySpace to Facebook. <laughs> so like, I'm just going to throw that out there. Dating ourselves but a little bit. <laughs> 100%. But it was, just, it was just a totally different world. Um, fast forward to, you know, living in this world, advocating for this world, being an activist in the space for 10 years. Um, it's, you know, it, it's really changed my life in so many ways. And, and, um, and uh, of course, you know, if I could take it all back, I would. Uh, but it would be a really difficult decision for me. Um, it'd be really challenged to kind of erase the last 10 years of my life and and think about what it would have been to start over. But, um, you know, cancer, even though I was early stage, uh, has been every single day of my life for the last 10 years. Um, because I had a very aggressive form of breast cancer. Uh, my Anka type was off the charts. The medications and the treatments lasted for eight and a half of my 10 years. Um, I think it's just a, a false expectation that cancer just stops when uh, when your treatment is over, and it's it's not what happens in real life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As you reflect back on that diagnosis at 28, um, what were some of the biggest challenges for you? Oh, um, I mean, my biggest challenge was. Uh, how I was being treated as a patient. I remember uh, to this day, actually, this has not changed in 10 years, but I remember uh, every doctor's appointment I walked into being reminded of how young I was Mm -hmm. and how I wasn't supposed to be there and how cancer wasn't supposed to happen to people my age and how it was really rare and just, you know, constantly. It didn't matter if it was the um, office manager at the front desk or if it was the technician or if it was the doctor. Like every single person was saying to me, 
I'm so sorry. You're so young. This isn't supposed to happen to you. And every time I wanted to say no shit, Sherlock, like <laughs> yeah. um, not something I need to be reminded of every right. single time. Like, yeah. yeah. I, you don't think I know, like, you don't think I know that I'm not supposed to be here. And, and that was really hard. And it was a lot of what um, propelled me to start a business in this space was I felt like everybody was just looking at me like an old dead lady. Mm -hmm. And I I didn't like those feelings. Like I didn't like um, being treated differently because of my age. I didn't like, uh, the world that was being constructed for this quote unquote grandma or an old woman. And I just was like, you know, if, if cancer is affecting all of us, we need to be treated as such mm-hmm. and not necessarily ignored because we're a rare side of the cancer, but mm-hmm. um, you know, really helping others to pave the way and make a change. Right. I remember going to a support group after I was newly diagnosed and I was 30 and seven months pregnant. And I walked in and it was like the music stopped and it was all these older kind of grandma age ladies who are sitting around talking about their experiences. And I I quietly sat down and they were very polite to me, but they were all just talking about wanting to see their grandchildren grow up. And I was like, had just laid my hands on my pregnant belly and was like, how am I here? And they, no one knew what to do with me. I mean, I, they, I was so, it was like a very much like a pity party for me. Mm-hmm. And I went in to feel empowered and connected and find common ground and shared stories. And I left feeling like so alone because, and it was just, there, there wasn't that space, like you say, for that, that young newly diagnosed experience and how very different it is to be diagnosed in your twenties or in your thirties and be starting a family or to be dating or to be, you know, like there's a whole different set of experiences um, that, and and support that's needed for young women facing cancer. Um, And you and I, I, I was diagnosed 13 years ago. You were 10 years ago. Is it, it seems to me that we have made leaps and bounds in the 10 years um, or maybe it's like one of those things where when you get a red car, you see all the red cars on the street. Um, But let's talk for a minute about the changes. I think that have been made in the 10 years of, of providing much deeper connection and community for the young cancer patient, specifically in the breast cancer space, because you have been part of forging that path. So talk a little bit about what you have done to help fill that void that you felt and that I felt and, and where we are today. Let's talk about some of the resources. Um, hopefully some newly diagnosed young women will listen to this conversation and um, we can help kind of help them feel that connection that, that we were so deeply yearning for. I, I mean, listen, I think we've come leaks and bounds in 10 years. Um, I think it sucks that it's taken 10 years to come leaps and bounds. And there are so many other strides we have to make still. Um, You know, 10 years doesn't feel like that long of a time, but it really is when it comes to the medical community. Like 10 years is a long uh, space to achieve things because they don't happen overnight. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I go back same, same as you, you went to a, a support group, right? With old ladies talking about grandchildren. Well, I was offered a support group 
and, and I was treated in Denver, Colorado, I was offered a support group that was for all young people with cancer. And that was the only option that we had. But I, I thought to myself, because I was already feeling guilty at the point of diagnosis, I said to myself, I can't sit in a room of other young people, like sitting next to the person that has brain cancer. Mm-hmm. Like I only have breast cancer. And I think that there was this reality to say, like, I didn't even know what that meant yet. Like, mm-hmm. because of how we market breast cancer, it's really, mm-hmm. really destructive to all of us as the patient. It is not a productive practice. It is destructive 100%. And I felt like... Let me pause you there for a second, Dana. I know what you're saying. Why is it destructive? What about the marketing of breast cancer is destructive? Well, I go back to we started marketing a disease before we fixed it. Mm. We're celebrating something that is not worth celebrating. Hell no. And we're celebrating people that get diagnosed with breast cancer, putting them with smiling faces on happy, jolly billboards with misinformation about our disease. And then everybody, so when you say to somebody, I have breast cancer, they're like, oh, but you're going to be great. You're going to be fine. That's the easy cancer. That's the easy cancer. You get a boob job Mm -hmm. and a tummy tuck. Oh my God, this is great. Mm -hmm. Like that's what our world is looking at. It's like, and I'm like, no, I've amputated my breasts from my body. I have scars. I have no nipples. I have long history of a lifetime of side effects due to all of my treatment, going through medical menopause twice. I'll be lucky if I see it naturally. Mm-hmm. And one out of three of us are still dying from stage four metastatic breast cancer. So tell me what I'm celebrating. Right. Why There's is this... Moment- a- why has this, why has the breast cancer narrative become one of celebration when 115 people die every day? Where did we go wrong in that the response to breast cancer isn't outrage and demanding for treatment options and instead it's the, cell, it's the, we've, we've focused so much on the survivorship piece, which it's hard, right? I always say to people, I celebrate survivorship. I celebrate overcoming but not at the risk of leaving behind or minimizing the severity of the disease. I will celebrate when we are no longer chopping tits off of our bodies. Mm. I will celebrate when we are not going through massive amounts of chemo and destructive drugs that cause other problems to our systems. Mm -hmm. And I will celebrate when we understand metastases and we actually are able to stop it from happening, right. that's when I'll start celebrating. Right. None of those things have happened. Right. So there's so if we're celebrating a statistic of having a higher survival rate after modern medicine was introduced to treating the disease, I think we're way premature in celebration. <laughs> like I think we're super <laughs> premature. Oh my gosh, so true. That's so true. Right. I mean, you look at these statistics and they date back to like 1950. And you're like, so where did we come in 70 years? Like, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's like shocking to me, but I feel like that's, that's what's destructive. And that's what leads to so much of our survival guilt, Mm -hmm. our challenges with our families and our loved ones and our friends to understand what the disease really is. And 
some of us are lucky to survive it, right? That is 100% luck because we don't know why the disease metastasizes in some and not in others and why sooner and why later. We don't know these answers yet. And when we paint something so pretty and so pink, it completely masked the destruction that was happening underneath it all. Mm. And, you know, the stories, I mean, with creating Ana Ono and the stories that we hear, it's like, it, it breaks my heart when I hear about this young woman that's been diagnosed because her mother was diagnosed and her mother's mother was diagnosed. And you hear these stories about like how, oh, I always remember like grandma going into the bedroom at the end of the night and like putting her boobs in her drawer. But then nobody talked about it. Like families weren't talking about it because like women were ashamed, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and that really set us back. Like it set us back all of the, the quiet conversations that were had over generation after generation. And so I feel like right now, like, yes, in 10 years, we have finally gotten loud. Mm -hmm. In 10 years, we are finally standing up for ourselves and saying, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. Breast cancer is not the easy cancer. Like breast cancer stage four needs research. Like we can't keep pretending that we've fixed something that isn't fixed at all. Right. That the, somehow then we're shifting though, though minutely because of voices like yours and mine and friends who are trying to tell the whole story of breast cancer that we're shifting from this like celebration cancer, you know, you're strong, you beat cancer, everything's great, beautiful, look at all these survivors, look at all the survivors, it's amazing. We're like, no, pause, actually no, and this is why. And and that's a hard conversation because the survivor story and the celebrating all the cheering survivors and, you know, sparkly pink and, you know, that's a lot easier story to tell and to sell. What we're talking about is hard, raw sad, but it's the more true reality. You just said it beautifully. It's the easiest tell and sell Mm -hmm. because that is what they're doing. They're selling our disease. They're selling, they're marketing the disease to sell it and make money off of it. It's where we've gone wrong. 100%. You're right. The truth hurts. Yeah. The truth is a scary place. Like it is. And and I get asked all the time, how as an early stager, have I been able to advocate so much for stage four? Mm-hmm. I don't see how I couldn't. Right. Right. I, you know, it's really just a question that throws me off every single time. People say, don't you get tired? Yeah. I, I'm tired every single day. The answer to that is yes. Am I afraid? Yes. Why? Because I bury a friend every month of my life. Mm-hmm. Like, does advocating for stage four suck? Absolutely. Because I wish that we didn't have to. Right. I wish that just people would wake up and say, we don't get better until we get our sickest better first. Then we all win. Like, right. that's like, that to me is is the, the, the thing... I just haven't been able to grasp since I got diagnosed 10 years ago when I was fighting this fight alone, really, you know, and like pointing out all of these disparities and like wondering why they were happening just because I was young and dumb and naive. And then you get into the mix of it and you're like, oh no, this is a problem. This is a thing. 
Right. And why uh, is nobody seeing this? Why is it? Why? Why is this not part of the conversation? I, I, I want to acknowledge and thank you as someone with stage four metastatic disease. I am always so grateful for early stage patients who step out of the pink celebration narrative and into the, the hard, dark side of the pink ribbon bec- and then pull people along with them because it's it's the harder choice. It is a lot easier to stay in the, you beat breast cancer, you're a survivor, you're strong, we are doing it, we're making, you know, like the, the, the survivor side is a lot prettier. But if we're going to make changes, people have to not be afraid to step into the dark side with the patients who are facing metastatic disease and to realize not me, but could be. And therefore that's where I need to work. And um, it's, but it's so hard. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy to, to, to step away from the pink celebration and go into the, go into the trenches. So thank you for doing that. Um, talk for a moment about, you mentioned it briefly, but I want to, I want to, to, to dig into Ana Ono, a company that you created after your breast cancer diagnosis. Can you tell us what Ana Ona is and, and why you created it? Yeah, so I so I created Ana Ono out of my own necessity of wanting to feel beautiful, sexy, comfortable, you know, just like these really kind of baseline uh, things that I had in my life before cancer. And after I had my double mastectomy and reconstruction, I just couldn't find any bras that fit my new body. And um, I went as far as, you know, getting my mastectomy tattoo uh, back in 2010 when there were no pictures of mastectomy tattoos on the internet. Uh, like in the shape of a demi bra, because I literally couldn't find something that fit my body. And plus, I'm nippleless. I've got scars. You know, I, I couldn't take my clothes off to the person I loved the most because I didn't love myself. This was a huge problem for me. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. Like mm. there was just, you know, there was no. And again, this, this reverses back to ten years. There was nothing on the internet that was preparing me for what I was about to go through, and I yeah. had no support system, yeah. and I didn't know any other younger people. Right. So, oh my gosh, like, I can remember just like when I was getting ready to have my mastectomy, asking the doctor, "Can I see what?" <laughs> a mastectomy looks like, like what a, what a post mastectomy boob looks like. And they literally had no, like, even in the plastic surgeon's office, they were like, yes, hold on. Like, it was not something that I, that we had access to. I I mean, yeah, completely. Yeah. Was it there? First of all, there wasn't enough people that were even probably going through it. And when I did see those plastic surgery photos and my doctors were like, okay, so these boobs are much older than yours. So like, take that into consideration when you're looking at the results, because like they didn't have a 20 something year old, like healthy breasted woman in their Rolodex. Like it's just shocking. But, you know, it was all of that that led me into what I kind of call was like my own like little special boom, because I've been a fashion designer my entire life. It's what I live, eat, breathe and sleep. 
And, uh, you know, I, I thought I was going to make these bras that I would sell for other people like me on Etsy. And that was going to be my, you know, my after work gig and my weekend projects. And, and it turned into be so much more because again, people weren't talking about these struggles. So I thought to myself, I must be the only person that wants to feel beautiful after my breast surgery. Mm. And because I couldn't find anything on the internet. Like everybody was looking at us like we were old ladies with granny panties. And I'm like, this is not cool. Like this is not who I am. And I just, I, I took that energy and I funneled it into doing what I do best. And that's designing clothes and, and making clothes. And here we are, you know, six years later. Um, I don't think that there's a continent that we, maybe Antarctica, that we haven't shipped a bra to. I mean, okay. you know, women reach out to us from around the world. People reach out to us from around the world. I mean, it's it's interesting how Ana Ono started because of my own need and necessity for like beautiful bras that were underwire free, no molded cups, soft materials, all of these things that like seem, seem simple, but you couldn't kind of find them all in one and how that's just transversed. Um, to the lives of so many around the world. It's, it's really spectacular. Mm. Do you know quantifiably like how many bras or how many people like give a, get of a sense of context here to how much oh. Ana Ono has exploded? Cause I think it's remarkable what you have. I mean, you have been working so hard to bring this <laughs> so to hard. bring these resources to the world and it's not it's become a big thing Dana yeah I mean that's huge I like it just brings such a smile to my face <laughs> to even just hear you say that because it like makes me want to cry you know I, I almost never stop to think about how much how hard I've been working to do all of this oh, and so hard um, I mean, talk and, for me you know, about like I mean, your partnerships. Like you have some, you've created some really awesome collaborations, bringing this breast cancer resource to the mainstream too. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, uh, listen, I, I've probably made hundreds of a uh, hundred thousand bras, if not more. Um, I, I haven't even ever counted it from that level, <laughs> but I should, um, you know, we have tens of thousands of customers from around the world. It's, it's really amazing. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, uh, kind of back to the the stage four conversation, New York Fashion Week is is a huge deal um, for not just Ana Ono, but for the community. I mean, we've we've really been able to use every year at, at on that stage to change a conversation. And that's what we set out to do. Mm. Um, I don't set out to just show the world my new bras. It's like we're going to crack open a conversation that needs to be cracked and um, we're going to use that stage to do so. And I feel like, you know, the, the show in 2017 was like the most pivotal because like that was the first time the world had seen like mastectomy scars um, and that, and, and that broad of a, of a state. And we went viral on New York times, like overnight champagne joy, my, my partner and, and late dear friend, like, texted me and she's like, we just went viral. I'm like, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds <laughs> contagious. Like, <laughs> like, it means um, different right now. Doesn't it? <laughs> it means something very different now. And, um, and yeah, and, and you know, it, it's been interesting, like, you know, paving the way is, is not an easy task. Um, it doesn't come without hardship and stress and all of these things. But I, I received even an email, just a quick story from one of our, um, followers or customers or clients. And, and she had messaged me and she had told me, and this was about uh, last after last year's fashion show, she told me, she said, I, every year around this time, I stopped following and engaging with you. 
because I don't want to hear about stage four breast cancer. Mm. It's just easier if I don't pay attention to it. And I, because of all that you do during the month of February, I, I literally step back and I unfollow and I don't open your emails. Mm. Because it's and, easier to stay in the celebration, happy side of breast cancer. It's easier to stay in that space. And she had written to me on the post site and she had said, but at the end, after sharing all of this with me, she said, but this year I'm ready to learn. Mm. And it just struck me in the sense to know that I know what I do is not easy. And I know that I do it at a cost, right? I lose people because they don't want to have these heavy conversations, but I believe so much in having them that I will take that loss because eventually somebody's going to learn like she did and she's going to say, okay, but now I'm ready. Mm -hmm. And I have to respect the moments where somebody's not ready because I don't, I wasn't, I wasn't ready, but I also was living in oblivion because I didn't know anybody. Nobody was educating me or telling me either. Um, And, you know, knowing that she got pulled back in Mm -hmm. to learn and then start advocating, like that's the win. Right. And it's, oh. it's the long game, unfortunately, but so, so, so important. And I, and I just, you know, with Ana Ono, we've been able to have a lot of those conversations and, and share those parts of our disease and, and talk about, you know, what is affected, your femininity, your sexuality, your intimacy, your body image, yeah. all of those things mean something. We don't, getting the pat on the back, shouldn't you be happy that you're still alive? It's not enough. I'm sorry. It's not enough. Yes. I'm freaking happy that I'm alive, but I also want to live mm-hmm. until I die. Mm-hmm. And that's a really real thing. So don't put me in a corner and close the door on me and ask me to live my life. Well, and not I think that this. that is a also a, maybe a really unique part of the, of the younger breast cancer experience, not to diminish the value of feeling sexy and beautiful. If you're diagnosed in your sixties or your seventies, I I know there's some really beautiful, sexually awesome, you know, like strong older women as well, but it's a really different experience if you're diagnosed in your twenties or your thirties and you've had your breasts removed and you're dealing, you've had to remove your ovaries because you're such an estrogen positive cancer. So you're in menopause at 30 and the sexual dysfunction that comes from not having estrogen in your body as a 30-year-old is insane. Those are conversations that are really hard to have. But I think that in a way, like, yes, you created this beautiful company and and line of of undergarments and, and things that are comfortable to wear after breast cancer, but you've also created a space for conversation where you can talk about that it's okay, you know, all the challenges that face breast cancer survivors beyond the mastectomy and the chemotherapy and the radiation, the long-term effects of this disease. And you've created a space where that conversation is happening with where it feels safe for early cancer patients because they found you because they wanted a pretty comfortable bra. But then what they got was Uh, this amazing community where we're having really raw conversations about the experience of being young with breast cancer, but also including in that conversation and highlighting the metastatic breast cancer experience and helping people realize it's part of the conversation. So though you've created this awesome business 
that sells bras, you've created a conversation and a place for education and learning and advocacy and, and all of that, which is really incredible. I didn't see one happening without the other. Mm -hmm. I think that that was what I learned really early on. And and I, I, I learned it because of the unfortunate side that the world didn't understand what breast cancer was. Mm -hmm. Because every time I was talking about my business in 2011, I started developing this business, right? So every time I would have a conversation with somebody, they'd be like, Oh, okay. Well, why does a, somebody with breast cancer need a bra or are they going to be custom or, you know, and like these questions would come out and I'm like, nobody knows, nobody knows what's happening to us. They're completely oblivious. And so I realized that a part of my business had to educate and inform. So the general public understood why the people in their lives with breast cancer needed to feel beautiful. Mm. I thought that that was so bizarre. <laughs> I had to do both things, but I, and it was really huge for a small business, right? To say, wow, I'm not just creating a business. I also have to tell people why it exists mm. in 2016, in 2015, in 2014, like uh, uh, even today in 2020, I still answer some of those questions for people. Mm. But because you are, people are learning and that's pretty powerful. It is. Um, you mentioned in briefly New York Fashion Week, and I think I want to, to just, um, I'd love for you to share a little bit about the Ana Ono Fashion Show, because I, I think there'll be a lot of listeners that maybe don't know what your fashion show is and how incredible it is and groundbreaking and eye-opening and just such, ugh, such a beautiful creative gift to the world during something totally never seen before in New York fashion week. Um, what do you do? What is, tell us a little bit about your fashion show. Well, um, thank you. I, I, I got the opportunity to join New York fashion week with my late friend, champagne joy, who, uh, was an early stage diagnosis that later metastasized and, um, passed away. And uh, she has a project called Hashtag Cancerland that was meant to shine a light on the shadows of breast cancer and to pull out, you know, all of the truth from under the rug and have conversations about it. And she really, to me, was um, one of the community's first and, and strongest activists um, to, to stand up for, for all of us. And, uh, and she came to me with this crazy idea about going to New York fashion week. And I told her that um, what I did wasn't fashion because remember I am a fashion designer. So like I was in high fashion, I did do fashion week. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, what I'm doing here is not New York fashion week. Ugh. And uh, she told me, she goes, but you know, it's not just about that. It's about the opportunity that we have to tell a story. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and so she, she talked me into it. Uh, our first show was in 2017. It was literally myself and an intern and a freelance marketing person. Somehow or another, we pulled it off. It was maddening. And, um, and every year since that we've, we've gone, um, out and we've really, uh, opened up a conversation for a story, whether that be about metastatic uh, breast cancer, our 2019 show was all stage four metastatic breast cancer patients. Um, eight of which that have passed away since then. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's really heavy and the, and the information is really powerful, but you know, we do this with risk, you know, that, that this is a, a big conversation. It's a heavy conversation. 
Uh, we've raised over $350,000 for stage four metastatic breast cancer research uh, to support Metaviver. And, um, and I just feel so fortunate. I mean, sad to say that COVID has shut down New York Fashion Week um, to this point, but you know, we're, we're planning on coming back as soon as we can. Um, to do it. But all of our shows are online um, on YouTube. You could just probably search Cancer Land and Ana Ono New York Fashion Week. Um, they're really powerful. I mean, the reality is, it's like everybody has a story. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, I, in all honesty, I really don't do anything except for provide the stage and put people in the most vulnerable moment, which is being in their bras and underwear. And somehow or another, <laughs> The magic happens. <laughs> I mean, like, put a put a visual out there for some of the ways that people have walked the runway because it is, it's beautiful and powerful and vulnerable and amazing to me because you're not just they're not just a they are in their underwear but they're also some of them are just like wearing their scars like so bro- boldly and bravely. Um, I'm trying to like describe a couple of the images that I've seen. Like what are some of the most, I mean, because each woman kind of has their own, um, it's not like look and experience and costume kind of like creation that they're wearing down that runway. Um, I just think it's so powerful the way that you've portrayed the story. Yeah, you know, I, I, I meet everybody first. I, I love getting a, a sense of who somebody is. Um, I, I think that this is, it's such a monumental time for the person because like, I, I don't have any other way to say it, but it's like the butterfly forms. Mm-hmm. And listen, you are scared out of your mind. Like, first of all, you probably have never modeled before, let alone in your bra and underwear, let alone walking down a runway at New York Fashion Week with an entire press pit at the end that like has flashes of lights that are just like capturing every photo. Um, But I think, you know, for me, it's uh, because I stand behind the curtain. uh, For me, it's that first roar that comes out of the audience um, when a model hits that runway because they just, they blossom in that moment. It happens before your eyes. And I'm even getting chills just thinking about it because like, you know, some of the most nervous people go out there and just crush it and have the Mm -hmm. time of their life in that 15 to 20 seconds they have on the runway. It is so fast. Um, And, and listen, you know, some of those moments like where Erica Hart came out in 2017 in a fur jacket and a pair of underwear and just showed the world like her, you know, nippleless body, like the, the crowd went wild. People were standing on their feet and screaming for these people. And it was just like, for me, that, that experience to show not just an empowering moment, but likely showing people in that crowd things that they've never seen before. Yeah, completely. That's that's the experience. Yeah. It's a it's it's just such a beautiful creation and I'm that you use you know, it's a way to to promote your brand and your business and help people learn about what you do and your beautiful designs but also telling the story of breast cancer beyond the pink party right. that is is raw and real and bold and it is it is, is maybe as far away from like what the stereotypical breast cancer celebration is as possible. Like it is so completely opposite. And I just, I'm, I'm so glad that you've 
you've put that out into the world and that it's part of the breast cancer narrative. Um, Maybe a smaller part because everybody still pictures the, you know, save the tatas and the pink celebration, but you have, we have to take steps in that direction and that you were doing it boldly in the middle of New York fashion week. Um, It's just really cool. And the amount of money, $350,000 you've raised for metastatic breast cancer research. Yeah. It's awesome. It's, it's incredible. It's amazing. I listen. I wish it was five hundred. I wish it was a million. I mean, it's not enough. Well, it but will be every one little day. Bit, every little bit counts. Every little bit counts. Yeah, it gets it gets every better time and better. It builds. Yeah. yeah, it it does. It, build. it it builds year over year, and it's so important. And the and the amount of people that are informed when they leave about stage four breast cancer, that's the impact. I mean, we have, we have over 500 people um, at the event every year. Uh, we pack yeah. the house and sell out. So yeah. it's, it's, it's really influencing a lot of people in a, in a very important pivotal time of our treatment. Absolutely. And well, and I think all the time about the ripple effect, I talk about that at Hope Scarves constantly that, you know, like we launch a new program at a partnership at a hospital, but inevitably the ripple effect of that mm-hmm. is, the is so beautiful because it's not just the patient who's getting the scarf at that new hospital partnership, but it's, you know, the aunt that sits there and learns about metastatic breast cancer in a different way with the whole story in a way that she never even knew how to say that word, but because her, you know, like the ripple effect of these experiences, if you put them out there, if we create them, we're changing the narrative. We are chipping away at the pink celebration to tell the whole story, to, mm-hmm to advocate for stage four breast cancer, to move the needle on research, find more treatment options, to help metastatic patient be part of the pink ribbon, part of the story to rally around them as a, in a way that doesn't leave them behind, but makes them know that they are part of the breast cancer community. And also the work that you've done to help all stages of young women feel beautiful and sexy and love their bodies. You know, the the experience of, of breast cancer goes well beyond chemotherapy and radiation and, you know, ringing the bell when you walk out at, you know, your last treatment, it's so much more than that. And um, I'm grateful that you can help people through that bigger experience. So I hope people will find you. How do they, um, how do they find Ana Ono and, we are everywhere at <laughs> Ono Intimate. So uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Um, and then, of course, online at AnaOno.com, A-N-A-O-N-O.com. Did I just forget how to spell my brand name? I'll just repeat that. Uh, you, can, <laughs> you can find us online at AnaOno.com, A-N-A-O-N-O.com. And, um, and yeah, and, and, if, and if you're ever wondering where Ana Ono comes from, it's it's comes from my name, Dana Donafrey, without the double Ds. I love that. I love it. Without the double Ds. <laughs> oh, Dana, thank you for taking time today to share this conversation with me. I love talking about advocacy and just the perseverance that it takes to to you know, start a business out of, you know, this experience. Um, but also just the way that you're telling the whole story of breast cancer and, and bringing people along with you to learn. I am grateful, um, for you as someone with stage four breast cancer, I'm grateful, um, for allies who, who come into the darkness and tell the whole story. And it's, um, 
Thank you. And it's the work that we all need to do. And I just encourage all of your listeners, um, you know, it doesn't have to be in the biggest ways of all ways. Um, every little bit helps. And and a way that you can advocate for stage four is just simply donating money to research and just making sure that you are with a trusted organization that funds research. And um, that's still advocacy. So don't feel like you have to throw yourself in all the way and be absorbed um, at its fullest potential because, you know, everybody has a way to help. And sometimes, uh, you know, donations are, are just as equal as, as having a loud mouth like you and I do. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, uh, all right. Let's shift to the lightning round to wrap it up today. Oh, okay. So nervous. No, oh, these are, these, these are easy. Um, okay. I'm just going to ask you a couple questions. Fill in the blank. Hope is. Light. Mm, I love that. We know a hopeful life is not just realized in the perfect, happy moments, but also in the struggle. When you are in one of those hard moments, what gets you through, Dana? Just breathing. Mm -hmm. Besides your family, faith, friends, and phone, what is something you can't live without? Oh, something I can't live. It would probably, I, I hate to, to, to admit this loudly, but it would be um, my computer. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that falls under phone. I shouldn't say tech. Okay. All right. Then I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to say my, my dog son, Hooch. <laughs> oh, Hooch. That's a sweet name. <laughs> he's my, he's uh, my, he's my lover. He's a cute little thing. Oh, I know. I mean, as somebody who also runs a business, I would probably be lost without my computer too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> an ordinary moment in your life that is filled with hope. Hmm. Honestly, it's every day I, my eyes open up on my pillow on my bed hmm. is a day of hope for me. Some people call it a bucket list. I call it a wonder list. What is on your wonder list that will make your hopeful life complete? Mm, I mean, whew, goodness. Um, there are not a lot of things on my wonder list because if they enter it, I practically do it. Um, <laughs> there, is, there is no wishful thinking, but I honestly, I, I would really love to just travel the world for like 12 weeks with zero things um, required of me from mm. work or job or just like 12 weeks of just like pure discovery. Um, mm -hmm. And, and that will make up for all of the lost vacations that I've, that I haven't had. <laughs> so depending on when that happens, it might be 15 weeks or 20 weeks. <laughs> Who knows? It gets long. It gets longer with every year. I don't take a vacation. Oh, Yes. And right now I just, that wanderlust is strong. I know with so many people, we want to travel and experience new places, see people um, yeah. even more than ever right now. Indeed. Oh, well, I hope you get to do that. And um, I would love to do that too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go together. That's oh it. my gosh. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, thank you so much for 
joining me to talk about how you live a hopeful life and um, being an example of advocacy and and using creativity and storytelling and your just ambition in such a positive, meaningful way that is shaking up the breast cancer world and providing such a, a beautiful resource to to breast cancer patients. And thank you so much for your advocacy for metastatic breast cancer and just for taking time today to, to connect and, and talk about your story. Well, thank you for having me. You inspire me equally and just as much. And I know that all of our hard work that we do every single day is, is well worth it. Um, so thank you for your service and uh, your care to the community as well. Mm. We're in this together. 100%. Thank you, Dana. Thanks, Laura. Thanks for listening to our stories. I hope you take away something you can apply to your hopeful life. Help keep the hopeful life momentum going by sharing our podcast and take a minute to rate and write a review. If you'd like to learn more, check out our websites, myhopefullife.org and hopescarves.org.